Our Father who is in heaven, we are thankful for another opportunity. Another opportunity to live on your good earth and to study your good book, your word, a book that guides us, leads us, comforts us, allows us to be more like your son Jesus, leads us in that direction. Father, we're so thankful that you have seen fit to give us your word and to tell us about your great love for us and to how to be in fellowship with you. Bless our study, Father. Continue to be with us as we live during this time of pandemic in our country. Bless your people across this country and across the globe. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. I certainly appreciate you tuning in to study the Word of God with me. I'm very, very grateful. I am thankful that there are people around the country and around the globe who are thinking about spiritual things right now. I'm thankful that you've tuned in because you love God and you love His Word and you want to study His Word and consider it and learn how to be more like Jesus and how to de develop and maintain a a relationship with him. Thank you for tuning in this evening. In this video, we want to continue our studies from the book of 1 John. We're actually going to be in 1 John chapter 4. In this video, one of the big themes that we have dealt with in our previous studies from the book of 1 John is the theme of fellowship. The theme of fellowship with God, knowing God, learning how to live with the confidence of knowing that we have a right relationship with God because we're walking in the light, we're walking in the truth. We're trying our best to keep God's commandments. We're trying our best to abstain from living a life of sin. And we're also doing our best to love one another. These are the things we've learned so far in this book. These are the things we must do according to the apostle to be able to maintain fellowship with God. In fact, the idea of loving one another, which is something that John has talked about uh, and a lot, a pretty good bit over the past few chapters, in addition to learning that in chapter 2 and in chapter 1, we're going to continue studying that idea of loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ here in chapter 4. And so let's read 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. 1 John 4 verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation of the Scriptures. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've heard that it is coming, and now is already in the world. Notice how there was an Antichrist in the world at that time, John says. Verse 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. 
We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, as we consider this first section, in 1 John chapter 4, let me begin by submitting to you that this particular section right here contains a warning. It is a warning that John has already given us in this book, if you remember, the warning against false teachers. John is warning the brethren, and he's warning us, he's warning, warning the brethren of the first century and us today against false teachers. In verse 1, John says that we should just, we should never just blindly accept what a religious teacher or preacher promotes. We should never just blindly believe what a religious teacher promotes. Instead, John says we need to test them. We need to test every teacher, every preacher. That would even include me. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher of God's word, and I need to be tested. John says we need to test every spirit. The word spirit that John uses in that verse is not a reference to spiritual beings. Instead, in the context, he's using the word spirit to talk about teachers, preachers, those who claim to be speaking on the behalf of God. John says that when it comes to teachers, preachers, religious teachers, we need to always test those people. We need to listen carefully to the things they say and challenge those things if those things are not in accordance with the word of God. There's a warning here against blindly believing Everything that a religious teacher or preacher promotes. In fact, this is something that is not only found throughout the book of 1 John, but we find it throughout the gospel. Can I show you a few examples as to what I'm talking about? Jesus, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he gives us this same warning in the Sermon on the Mount. Will you please go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, listen to what Jesus said in verse number 15. In Matthew 7 and verse 15, Jesus says to his people, Beware, notice the idea of a warning, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them. Notice the idea of testing there. You're going to know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them. You'll know the false prophets, you'll know the false teachers by their fruits. Here, Jesus is, is warning us against false teachers. He's letting us know that there is such a thing as false prophets. There is such a thing as false teachers, and we can recognize these people by testing them, by just considering the kind of fruit that is falling from the tree. A false teacher, 
A false prophet is going to produce bad fruit. The idea there is they're going to teach false doctrine. They're going to teach and promote things that is not in line with the sacred text, but the good tree or the good teacher or the good prophet, he's only going to teach what is found in the word of God. He's not going to add to the word of God. He's not going to take away from the word of God. So Jesus here is warning us against false teachers, false prophets, and he is saying that you can easily recognize a true teacher of God or a false teacher of God by looking at their fruit, by considering the things that they're promoting. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, and that's what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4. And then look at Acts chapter 11, because the Bereans were a group of people who really took serious the warning given against false teachers. They, they made sure that they always tested teachers, even if the teachers were great teachers like the Apostle Paul. And Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. In Acts 17 and verse 11, the Bible says, Now these, these, these people in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining, notice, uh, the idea of examining is testing, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Here in the context of Acts 11, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, is preaching the word of God to the Bereans, but notice how they didn't just blindly accept the things Paul taught. Notice how they compared the things Paul taught with the sacred text that they had before them. That's a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. All they had at that time was the Old Testament scriptures, and Paul clearly was teaching them things from the Old Testament, and they compared the things Paul taught them to the things that were already written down. And so the Bereans, even when it came to the Apostle Paul, a teacher of truth, they didn't just blindly accept the things Paul said, but they tested Paul. They examined his teachings. They compared the things that he was saying to what was found in the sacred scriptures. The Bereans did that, and that's how we have to be. Like John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, John says we got to test the spirits. We got to test teachers. We got to challenge preachers. And the reason we got to do that is because going back to 1 John chapter 4, John says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets had gone out into the world in the first century. In the first century, John is telling these Christians that you need to challenge and test and examine religious teachers because there are a lot of false teachers out there. There are a lot of men out there, John is saying, who don't promote the truth, who preach and teach things that can cause people to lose their souls. That was true of the world in the first century. And let me ask you, do you think that's also true of the world in the 21st century? I mean, in the 21st century, in 2020, are there a lot of false preachers and teachers out there? You better believe there are. You better believe there are. In fact, I would submit to you that there are a whole lot more men in the world who teach error than those who teach truth. 
There are a whole lot more men in the world who teach error than those who teach truth. And we gotta, we gotta be able to recognize these men. We gotta be able to recognize these men and women who are teaching things that are clearly contrary to the word of God. They're teaching false doctrine about morality. They're teaching things like it doesn't matter who you marry, doesn't matter when you get a divorce, doesn't matter when you remarry. There, there, there are more preachers in the world who teach error about marriage, divorce, and remarriage than there are those who teach the truth about it. There are more men in the world who teach error about what a person must do to be saved than there are those who, who teach truth about it. For most religious people or religious teachers, they'll tell you that if you want to be saved, all, all you got to do is believe. Just believe in Jesus. Just believe the gospel. Just say a prayer. Accept Jesus in your heart as your personal Savior, and you'll be saved. You don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Now, if you want to be baptized as part of some religious ritual or to demonstrate that you've given your life to God, then fine, go ahead and do it for that reason. But baptism is not important to your salvation. That is what most religious teachers will tell you, but that's not the truth. That's not what we find when we read the words of Jesus in Mark 16 and verse 16, where Jesus says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. There, there are more men who teach error about salvation than there are those who teach the truth. There are more men who teach error about morality than there are those who teach the truth. There are more men who teach error about, about worship that pleases God than there are those who teach the truth. Most religious teachers, they'll tell you that it doesn't matter how you worship. You can worship your way. We can worship our way, and God will accept it all. He doesn't care how we worship. That's what most religious teachers will tell you. That's not what we find when we study the sacred text. There are a lot of false teachers in the world, even today. And again, I want to stress to you, we got to be able to recognize these people. Unfortunately, most folks can't recognize a false teacher. They'll just say, well, since that person is a preacher or a teacher, then that means they're teaching the truth. No, that doesn't automatically mean that. Every religious teacher, every preacher must be tested. I must be tested. Those who are listening to a preacher or a teacher must always have their Bibles opened while that person is preaching. And they must compare the things that that person is saying to what they find in the scriptures. That's what John is really talking about in this section. When you go back to 1 John 4, verses 2 through 6, when you look back at that, the whole point of that section is, is telling us about how to test a preacher or a teacher. In the case of the Christians in the first century, who were being assaulted by teachers who were promoting the idea that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. These were your Gnostic teachers. These were, according to John, your Antichrist, people who were anti-Jesus Christ in the first century when it came to the people who were Antichrist, who were denying the fact that Jesus came in the flesh, 
John told these brethren that they could easily recognize those teachers. They could easily recognize the Antichrist. They could easily recognize the false teachers by just comparing the things that they were teaching to the things the apostles were teaching. All they had to do was compare what a Gnostic teacher taught about Jesus and his coming to what the apostles taught about that, and then they had to make a decision. Who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the apostles, or are we going to believe these other teachers who claim they have special knowledge from God? we got to make a choice because clearly these two groups are not teaching the same thing. The apostles taught that Jesus did come in the flesh. He came as both God and a man, but the Gnostics denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And so if you were a Christian living in the first century, and you heard the apostles, you read letters from the apostles, and then you came across these Gnostic teachers, you're going to have to make a choice. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the apostles? You're going to believe men who knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, were inspired by the Holy Spirit, or are you going to Listen to these men over here, these Gnostic teachers who are teaching something that is the complete opposite of what was promoted by the Lord's apostles. In that section, 1 John 4, 2 through 6, John's just saying you got to make a choice. They had to make a choice. John says that those, in verse 6, he says, those who listen to them, us, the us there is a reference to himself, and the other inspired writers, he says, those who listen to us, they are of God. They know God. They have fellowship with God. They're walking in the truth. But those who listen to the Antichrist, those who listen to a doctrine, John says, that was the opposite of what the apostles taught, John says those people, they're not of God. They don't know God. They're not walking with God. They're not in fellowship with God. They're not pleasing God. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. The whole point of that, my dear friends, is to let us know that in life we have to make a choice. You got to make a choice as to which path you're going to go down. Are you going to go down the path of truth or are you going to go down the path of error? Which path are you going to go down? Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to what just what the scripture says, or are you going to listen to the opinion of a man or a woman? You see, the responsibility of any preacher or teacher, religious preacher or teacher, the responsibility we have is just to preach with us, saith the Lord. My responsibility as a preacher is just to open up God's book and to do my best with as much humility and love as I know how to have to just read and, and teach the scriptures. I don't need to give my opinion. I don't need to tell what I think. I just need to open up the book and share the book. I need to study the book. I need to love the book. And I need to love people's souls enough to share with them what the book says. That's my responsibility. And when I share just what the book says, guess what I'm really doing? I'm just sharing what God has said. This is not my opinion. This is not what I think. This is the word of God. 
And I'm trying to study the word of God and share the word of God so people can know God and know the apostles and be able to have a relationship with God and be in fellowship with God. That, that's the responsibility that I have. I can't make people obey the word of God. I can't make people do what God says. My job is just to share it. And then God has given them the ability as a free moral agent to decide what they want to do. Do they want to obey the scripture? Do they want to obey what God says? Or do they want to follow their own ambition? Do they want to listen to what some other preacher or teacher tells them in regards to their distortion of the scripture or their personal opinion? My job is to teach and preach. And God says those who listen, they have the responsibility to choose what they're going to do. It's just that simple. And that's the whole point John is making. In verses 1 through 6. In life, my friend, you got to choose who you're going to listen to. Are you going to listen to the inspired writers? Are you going to listen to what the sacred text says? Or are you going to listen to to yourself or just your parents or your friends or just what to, what some preacher may tell you? We got to test the spirits. We got to test teachers. And we got to always make sure that we go with what God says in his word. If what a teacher promotes does not line up with the text, we always go with the text. We always go with what the apostles taught us because the apostles were inspired men of God. That's the point of that section. Okay, so now let's go to the next section. And verses 7 through 21. We'll say some things about this section here. And then that'll be our study. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. For this is the love, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect Love cast out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If, if, someone says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Okay. Here in this section, John revisits one of the big themes of this book, and that is the theme of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here John is going back, and he is saying that if we want to live our lives knowing that we have a relationship with God, that we are in God, that we are in fellowship with God, 
then we have to love one another. We have to love one another as a spiritual family. In verse number seven, John says that we must love one another because love, he says, love is from God. Love is, is from God. It's not from man, but rather it is from God. When John says that love is from God, the idea there is the source of love is God. The source of love is God. God God's very nature is love. God's character is love. God's essence is is love in those who are truly born of God, those who are truly his children, they're just like him. They're all about love. Love is what drives the children of God. Love is what motivates the children of God. Love is what absorbs the heart of a child of God. John says that the source of love is God. And then in verse number 8, he says, the one who does not love does not know God. And then again, he says, God is love. God is love. God's nature in essence is love. All of his actions are about love. And if we ever question or doubt God's love for us, which we can do sometimes, especially when we start suffering in our lives, sometimes when we lose a job or we go through financial problems or we get real sick. We start to question God's love for us. We start to blame God for our problems in life. Sometimes we fall into that trap. And John says in verses 9 and 10 that if we ever start to question the love of God for us, all we got to do to come out of that trap is think back to the cross. Think back to Calvary. John says that God demonstrated the highest love for us when he gave his son, his only begotten son, at the cross for our sins. God gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, even when we were at our worst, even when we were lost in our sins because we had violated God's law, God was still looking out for us. God was still looking out for our greatest need, and that is the need of salvation. God gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins, and that action God demonstrated should settle the issue of God's love for us once and for all. If God never did anything else for us in our lives, he's already done too much. He's already shown us that he loves us at the highest level because he gave us his sinless son as a sacrifice on the cross. John says God is love. And his actions demonstrate that, particularly his actions through Jesus demonstrate that and he says the proper way for us to respond to the love of God is in verse 11 he says we got to love one another in verse 11 he says that since God has loved us if God so loved then we also ought to love one another it shouldn't be hard for us to love each other as brothers and sisters because God has already loved us first you see, if we're really the children of God, then we should be looking like our father. 
We should look like our Father who's in heaven. We should have his character. We should have his attributes. We should have the same kind of heart that God does, particularly like our Father in heaven. We should also be all about love. Every action we take in life should have love as the motivation behind it. Like God, we also ought to have a strong level of love towards one another. We also should have a sacrificial love towards one another. We also should have a love that is kind and patient and merciful and forgiving and is always actively seeking the best interest of one another. In verse 11, John says that because God is love, because he loved us, we also should love one another. And in fact, in verses 12 through 21, in the rest of this chapter, John gives us at least five reasons as to why we need to do this. First, John says that we need to love one another because our love for one another is the key to God abiding in us. Another way we can say that is our love for one another is the key to being in fellowship with God. It is the key to God being in our lives and to us having a relationship with us. It reminds me of a couple of different places that in the New Testament. First, I'm going to the book of Galatians. Are you familiar with the fruits of the Spirit? Remember in Galatians, the fifth chapter, in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse number 22, the Apostle Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, if you're living by the Spirit, if you're influenced by the Holy Spirit, if your life is trying to stay within the, the teachings that, that he has revealed in the Scriptures, if you're truly influenced by, by the inspiration or the, or the Scriptures inspired by the Spirit, then there should be some fruit that comes from that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Notice that. The first thing is love. And it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and it's kindness and it's goodness and it's faithfulness and it's gentleness and self-control. These are the qualities or the characteristics that should be in our lives if we're really influenced by the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Jesus puts it this way in John the 15th chapter. In John the 15th chapter... I'm sorry, John, the 13th chapter, John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Sacrificial love, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know. People in the world will know, Jesus says, that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. It is how Jesus says that one of the clearest pieces of evidence that we can provide the world that we are really Christians, that we're really the children of God, is our demonstration of love for one another. You see, when we fuss and fight and show hatred to one another as a spiritual family, the world's not impressed by that. In fact, the world is is puzzled by that. If we're supposed to be Christians, then the world says then we're supposed to have love. We're supposed to have love like Jesus. We're supposed to be treating one another right. If we don't do that, Jesus says the world looks at us and thinks there's nothing special about us. One of the ways in which we demonstrate that God is really in our lives and God is abiding in us is through our love. 
Love for one another is important because it is key to God abiding in us and with us. And then in verse 17, John says that our love for one another is important because when we exercise love for each other, we can live in confidence regarding the day of judgment. You see, if we're treating one another as a spiritual family, if we're loving one another in the same way that God loves us, then we don't have to live in fear of the judgment day. We don't have to live dreading the judgment day. Instead, John says we can live with confidence. We can live with confidence in regards to the fact that one day we're going to die and we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is those who don't practice love who need to live their lives with fear. It is those who are full of envy and bitterness and hay and gossip and backbiting. Those people need to live in fear in regards to death and, and the judgment day and the, and the return of Jesus. Those of us who practice love and, and, and have love in our hearts and treat one another in the way God has commanded us to, John says don't live in fear in regards to the judgment day. Don't live your life doubting your salvation and instead have confidence Confidence in knowing that God knows your heart and he sees what you're doing and he will reward you because of your love towards your brethren. If we have love in our hearts, then we can live in confidence, with confidence in regards to the judgment day. And when we have love in our hearts, we also don't have to live our lives with fear. John says that there's no fear in love. Love is is. It's not an emotion that produces fear. You see, when you have a love in your heart, love for God first, and love for your fellow man, for your brothers and sisters, and even your enemies, you don't have to live your life fearing death. You don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to get sick. You don't have to be afraid of the judgment day. You don't have to be afraid of people. You don't have to be afraid of what people may do to you in this life because you serve Jesus. When you have a heart full of love for God because you're striving to keep God's commandments, and when you have a love for your, your brothers and sisters and all mankind, you don't have to live your life in fear. Love doesn't produce fear. Guilt produces fear. It is those who are guilty of sin, guilty of not loving God, guilty of not loving others. Those are the people who need to live with fear. Those are the people who need to fear death. Those are the people who need to fear the judgment day. Those are the people who need to fear the Lord coming back as a thief in the night. Those who have hate and jealousy and envy in their hearts, they need to fear, not those who have the perfect love of God. We need to love because there's no fear in love. And we also need to love because in verse 19, John says, God, God first loved us. God is not asking us to do something or commanding us to do something that he hasn't already done. John says that because God first loved us, then it should be easy for us to love one another. It should be easy for us to love him back and to obey his commandment, to love those who are part of our spiritual family. In fact, John says that we can't honestly say we love God if we don't first love one another. And doesn't that just make sense? I mean, how can I honestly say that I love God and I've never seen God? I've never seen God in my life. 
I've never seen Jesus, the Son of God. How can I honestly say that I love those that I've never seen before, but I don't love you, and I see you all the time? I know what you look like. I've heard your voice audibly. I know your personality. I worship God with you. I study the Bible with you. How can I say that I love God? I've never seen God but I don't love my brother or my sister that I see that I see often. That doesn't make much sense, does it? I mean, that's really just common sense. John says, none of us has, have ever seen God. None of us have. You haven't seen God, I haven't seen God, but we have seen one another. And if we want to honestly be able to say that we have some love for God in our hearts, then it starts, it starts with us first loving one another. Our love for one another is directly connected to our love for God. Verse 21 again, or verse 20 of the text. John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God, he should love his brother also. And so, in regards to maintaining fellowship with God in this chapter, we've looked at two things. We've looked at how if we want to maintain fellowship with God if we're Christians, then we need to test teachers, preachers, and we need to avoid false teachers and preachers. We need to always examine or compare what someone teaches us to what is found in the Word of God, and if someone is not teaching the truth, we need to have the love to point that out, that error to that person, because they may just be making an honest mistake like Apollos was doing, and Aquila and Priscilla pointed out his error in love, and he changed. But even if the person doesn't change, we still need to test them and point out their error, and we need to avoid them at all costs. We need to stay away from false teachers, and we need to make sure we love one another. These are the two issues that John deals with in this chapter. And so as some points of application go, let me leave you with three things real quick. First from this chapter, I want you to take this away. I want you to take away the need to put your trust, trust in God. Put your trust in the word of God. One of the big things that John is promoting in this chapter is the idea of always, always, always having confidence in the scriptures. Have your faith and trust and confidence in the revealed testimony of the apostles. The apostles knew Jesus. They saw Jesus. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we always need to have confidence in the things that they said because these were special ambassadors of Jesus. We need to have our confidence and our trust in the word of God and not the words of men. That's one of the big lessons from this chapter. And then there's also a lesson about the love of God. Whenever you start going through problems in your life, my friend, whenever you're down, whenever you're out, whenever you're depressed and you feel lonely, remember what John says in this chapter. Remember God loves you. Even though life may not be working out in the way that you desire, remember that God has already taken care of your greatest need. He's already demonstrated the highest level of love for you when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for your sins. 
you may go through some tough times in this in this life right now. But thank God that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you don't have to suffer in the next life. You don't have to suffer in eternity because God has demonstrated his love for you through his son. And so remember, God loves you. Remember to serve God. Give him your heart. And then also remember to love your brother. Remember to love your brother, even though at times maybe loving your brother or your sister can be tough. Even though there are times when we get on each other's nerves, when we don't see eye to eye, when our personalities don't mesh, even though those things are true, and that's true of any family, even though it can be hard at times to get along and to work together and even to love one another, let's always remember that God commands us to do that. Let's always remember that it's hard for God to love us at times, but he does it. He loves us. And because God loved us first and because we want to love God, we need to make sure we, we love one another. We're a family. We're trying to go to heaven together. And if we can't get along with each other on the earth and love one another on the earth, then how in the world are we going to be able to spend eternity together as a family? This chapter is about love. And so may God bless you. Thank you for studying with me tonight. I hope some of these things can be helpful to you as you strive as a Christian to maintain a relationship with God. We'll pick up with 1 John chapter 5, Lord willing, on the Lord's day.